I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Startup News Podcast. Some of the biggest challenges executives of early-stage life sciences companies face is securing financing and forging their first licensing deals. Though they may possess deep scientific knowledge, finding the right investors and partners and telling their story in a compelling way may require skills they have not yet developed. Life Science Nation works with entrepreneurs to tell their story, identify potential investors and partners, and connect them. We spoke to Dennis Ford, founder and CEO of Life Science Nation, about the mistakes life sciences entrepreneurs make when they set out to raise money, what investors care about, and what steps they can take to best ensure their success. Dennis, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dan. Nice to chat with you. We're going to talk about early stage financing, what entrepreneurs need to do to be successful at raising money and securing licensing deals, and how Life Science Nation works to help them succeed. Let's start off with the fundraising and strategic partnering landscape today. I'm sure most life sciences entrepreneurs would tell you that raising money or or looking for a licensing project, particularly at the early stages, is hard. But what's the landscape like today in the current financing environment? Well, that's a really interesting question. Um, And depending on who you talk to, there's uh, always uh, some different feelings. But we have a a conference called RESI, which is the Redefining Early Stage Investments Conference. And so we put it on every couple of months and and we typically get, you know, four or five hundred investors, capital investors and licensing partners and um, those, that group consists of really 10 categories of investors. So you've got angels and angel syndicates and family offices and patient groups and endowments, private equity, hedge funds, VC, early stage VC, pharma, early stage pharma groups. So each category has its main interest and its mandates and its its strategic directions. But in the early stage arena, uh, we really divide it into what I call the four Ds, uh, drugs, devices, diagnostics, and digital health. And then we have those 10 categories of investors and licensing partners that uh, basically seek them out either for their portfolio or for their product pipelines. So when you look at the marketplace and people saying, it's really tough in life science right now and there's no money around. Uh, that might be true for later mid-stage and uh, large commercial 100 million plus. But for the world that we live in, uh, we are finding that all of our conferences are, are, are full. There is no shortage of technology across the four Ds. And um, there's no shortage of people coming in with qualified investment mandates and and licensing uh, opportunities. So 
I believe we're in the golden age of life science at, at this particular juncture. Uh, 2023 looks really hot to me. And uh, we went through COVID and we had a lot of digital conferences and we saw a lot of companies get funded. So I think when people talk about what's the status of early stage capital investment and licensing deals, they really need to think about uh, what stage they're talking about, because I can emphatically state that early stage life science is really hot. There's amazing technology assets, and there's no shortage of people that seek them. Are there common mistakes life science entrepreneurs make when they go out to raise capital? Or are there misconceptions they have about what it takes to raise money? Yeah, I mean, we're we're always kind of stuck in this this scenario where, you know, academia, there's, you know, PhDs and other uh, talented scientists, entrepreneurs that are that are doing deep science. And when they find something that might be translatable to the commercial arena, they get a tech transfer license and then they come out in their you know, first of all, looking to affiliate somewhere. So they'll join a tech hub or an accelerator or some kind of regional program. But uh, when they start uh, looking for partners, they always make a mistake that they think the most important thing that they have to talk about is the science. And if you look at the other side of the table, the capital investors and licensing partners, they're typically you know, playing uh, a quantity game where they're looking for many, you know, early stage entities that are a fit for their mandates. And they know that, you know, one out of 10, two out of 10 might make it. And so they're really concerned with, you know, the science is super important, but really so isn't the founder, the founder's team. How are you going to deal with uh a group of people that are doing next generation science and what are the personalities like and how does the team gel together when they're running into uh, milestones that don't work or uh, they pivot uh, for one reason or another. And so the scientists come in thinking it's all about the science and the investors, uh, capital investors and licensed partners come in looking at, yes, the science is important and yes, the data is important, but also how am I going to work with the, the founder and the team? Because, you know, you're signing up for, you know, five to 10 years, if not longer in some cases. And so there's a misconception that the sell side scientists, entrepreneurs, and fundraising CEOs, they're thinking it's all about the science and they, they, they really don't have more of a broad perspective that there's more to investing and forming a relationship than just some good science. Well, maybe you can expand on that. In, in the life sciences, a company founder may be a, a brilliant scientist, but new to courting investors and making presentations. How steep a learning curve is there for entrepreneurs looking to raise early stage capital? Well, you know, you really have to think about, you know, what does it mean to um, figure out what it is that you're selling and what the value is? And so, you know, we work with the, the NIH and we work with all sorts of groups within the NIH. Um, and, and what we find with other accelerators and, and, and incubators 
is that there's a lot of coaching, there's a lot of mentoring, there's uh, a ton of entrepreneurs and residents, and they really spend a lot of time just thinking about the business plan and how big is the market and what is um, what is the the clinical trial path and what is the FDA and how does reimbursement work? So you know all of these things are really important, but they really become way more important when you're down the line heading towards com commercialization. Um, there's not a lot of people that really help the early stage entrepreneur figure out how are they going to launch their global roadshow? How are they going to go from regional to global? How are they going to find a list of global investors uh, and licensing partners that are a fit for their stage of development and their product? And uh, when they come to us out of some of these divisions and some of these incubators and accelerators that we work with all, all over the world, be it Pacific Rim or Europe or, or North America, they seem to have a big view picture, but they seem to miss out on some of the basics of really, you know, what's their story? How do they develop a narrative that's easy to understand when they're talking about complex science? Um, how do they net things out? How do they talk about their science in terms that it's easily understandable, even though it's like really complex? What kind of time have they taken to really figure out how to how to tell the story? And so those are pieces that, you know, we come in uh, Life Science Nation and our uh, Focus on Cures Accelerator, because we really spend a lot of time on how do you design your global roadshow? How do you launch your global roadshow? How do you find a list of global partners that are fit for your stage of development and your product set? How do you take that list and put it into a CRM so you can organize and manage it? And then how do you go about, you know, it's takes um, nine to 18 months to, to do a fundraise. And the, the group that we hang out with is typically, you know, uh, seed up to 2 million, series A, 2 million to 10 million, and series B, uh, 10 million to 50 million. And knowing where you fit and who you're going to talk to and how to tell your story and how to get a list and how to put it in a a CRM because if you're going to, you know, get four or five hundred or more partners that are a fit for your stage of development and product, you just can't stick them in an Excel spreadsheet and hope to manage them. You've got to really get a CRM like Salesforce.com. You've got to kind of develop new um, new skill sets where you know it's a it's pretty much a full time job if you're looking for you know global partners. And it takes a commitment. And so you've got to get the basic tools. You've got to get a list of the people to go after. You have to learn how to canvas. And so all that stuff's possible and learnable, but you have to be willing to do it. So sometimes the scientist entrepreneurs show up and they say, whatever I have to learn, I'll learn. And other people say, well, it's all about the science. It's not going to be that hard. And then other people say, you know, teach me, I'm open. Uh, let's, let's, you know, start, start to develop the story and let's start to get the collateral together and let's start to get the infrastructure that we can manage a global campaign. Put on your investor hat for a moment. What are the issues beyond 
the science that an investor wants to really see when they kick the tires on a potential investment? Yeah, that's, you know, that's interesting. We, we have, uh, we've got five full-time staff that for uh, 10 years, literally, we've been calling investors every week and just understanding what their mandates for investment are and what licensing opportunities they're looking for for pipeline. So we have a ton of data and the way that we, we get our data on, on investors is, is basically through these one-on-one phone interviews uh, that, that we collect with this five person team. So, you know, investors care about the science for sure. Um, in, in, but the real thing that they want to hear is tell me about the data that, you know, that you had the first data you got and then the next rounds of data that you got. And as you go through the, the preclinical and clinical process, um, how, how is that data showing up and how is it working? So, you know, on one hand, we say, you know, the science isn't that important, but, you know, it is. But what's more important is the data around the science that's showing that this thing it's got some legs and and uh, it can be uh, translated. So the data is important, uh, but then you look at you know who's on the board of advisors. If I'm a if I'm an investor and they they tell us you know they want to look at the team. The team is the founders. The team is the the group that the founders are are hiring. But then it's also okay. Well, who's who's your advisory board? Um, do you have you know industry known names that uh, are relevant to the silo of your expertise that can help guide you along. Um, you know, the the KOLs are important, the advisors are important. So the early stage life science arena is really interesting because there's a real good attitude in the professional pharma world and the biotech world and the med tech world and the diagnostics where there's a lot of goodwill and there's a lot of help that seasoned executives will, you know, take the time to talk and advise. And, you know, our resi conferences, we, we have them, you know, every two and a half months or so. We, we start at JPM uh, in San Francisco and then we go to Europe and then we come back in for June bio and then we, we go up to Boston in September and then we head over the Pacific Rim. We've, gone to Shanghai and Taiwan, and we're looking at Korea and and uh, Singapore and, and other places. And so the people that are coming to our conferences typically are divided by investors uh, and licensing partners and the scientist entrepreneurs. And it's literally like equal, like, for instance, in San Francisco, uh, 2023, we had like 600 fundraising CEOs across the 4Ds and 600 uh, category, 600 investors across the 10 categories. So, you know, the investors uh, will help each other, which makes it kind of unique. Uh, the, they'll they'll form syndicates with each other, and then they'll also really spend some time helping, uh, just giving free advice and some guidance. They're not going to spend a lot of time with you, but if you go up and tell somebody what you're up to and, and, and what they think, uh, they're, they're more than willing to take the time. And we see that time and time again. And what do investors want to see in the people and teams they back? The things that are hard to put your, your finger on, like what I've been calling 
you know, intentionality and agency and grit and, uh, you know, force of personality. And these are some of my favorite topics these days because it's really hard to define them specifically, like what is agency, uh, but you know it. And so, you know, if you see 10 companies giving a pitch and there's 10 different investors and the way that these companies come across, how prepared are they? How compelling is their story? Do they have a personal narrative that reaches out and grabs you? How do they get your attention? How do they present the company and uh, in the science? Have they simplified it? Can they can they involve you in their dream and vision and and pull you in? And so, you know, a lot of that stuff is really difficult to say, well, we're going to teach you how to how to, uh, you know, grab your science personality and now be more of a, a showman. But you have to have that passion. And so I think they look for passion. I think they look for agency. I think they look for grit. Um, and then on the other empirical side, they're looking for data. They're looking for compelling science. You know, I always have a saying that, um, you know, the stuff that you iterate, that you make better, uh, it's, a you know, kind of goes from uh, one spot to the other is a hundred million. And then when you leapfrog, it's a billion. And when you disrupt, it's a, a trillion. And so they're, you know, kind of looking at your technology and they're trying to figure out, so how much, what's the market for this? And they're looking at the experience of the team and how the team works together and then how they present their story and where the data and uh, the science are and, and where, where they have to get to that would be compelling for them. So I think those are some of the uh, some of the interesting things that we try and talk about when we're trying to help the scientists, entrepreneurs figure out how to do their their prepare for their global roadshow. There's been a proliferation of incubators and accelerators that seek to help lay the groundwork for startup success. How good a job do these generally do with regards to helping entrepreneurs develop the skill sets they need to raise money? Yeah, and that's a great question. So, you know, framing it, right? Everybody's coming out of academia, deep science, and then they get a tech transfer license. And then now they're, you know, affiliated with either uh, trying to find some kind of funding, non-dilutive funding from uh, the NIH or from another government uh, agency or from some kind of regional or a patient group or, you know, something that is out there that can give them some non-diluted funding to get their technology up and running. And then uh, when they run out of that, then they have to go for their seed series A, series B stuff. And so now they're getting into a whole different world where, you know, they're going to be on a path to commercialization and they've got to start playing this other game, which is super competitive. And uh, the, partners that they're going for really know what they're doing. They speak the language. They know how to invest in companies. They've been doing it for decades. And so there's a real sharp eye and they're very critical and they really know how to read companies. And so you have to be prepared of going from, you know, the grant writing world to all of a sudden you're getting in front of, you know, angel, angel groups, family offices, early stage 
uh, capital investors, private equity, venture capital, uh, farmer, early stage groups. And these guys are really sharp and they know their stuff and they're going through hundreds of companies a year. And so how you manage to get yourself above the noise with these folks is the real key. And I think that the big accelerators, uh, incubators, they're, they're, they're bringing, you know, people who have been there, done that, putting them in as entrepreneurs in, res, uh, in residence, and they're really making a lot of progress. And, you know, as I said, you know, they're really trying to get them to focus on, you know, what is your milestones look like for the next 24 or 36 months? What are the data results that you need to see that prove that your concept is in your innovation is going in the right direction? And so those are, um, you know, how does it play with the FDA? How does it play with reimbursement? So those are the big questions that, you know, a lot of these internal groups hire these entrepreneur in residence coaches and mentors to do. And, you know, we always find that there's a hole when they come to us at Life Science Nation and, and start to get ready for their, their series, their seed series A and series B, because they really need to start to think about they're preparing for a roadshow. It's purely a numbers game. I mean, you know, you've got to go out for nine to 18 months and you've got to talk to hundreds upon hundreds of strategic partners. And at the end of the day, you're going to have three, four or five uh, that will be giving you money that are soft circle for an investment and you need to find a lead. And uh, it takes a long time and it's a lot of work. And so that's where we come in, where we see the hole that they come to us pretty much able to do a pitch. And uh, they have a pretty good idea of what their technology is and, and, and how to talk about it. But they haven't really honed it down to a point where it's uh, really efficient. It's really compelling. They can, they can put these dynamics out there in easy to understand uh, language that, you know, showcases what they've done. So that's where we come in and really help them with the story and help them with the narrative. And then we have, you know, these ideas about, you know, you have to have a one page data summary and you have to have a two page executive summary and attend the 12 page PowerPoint. And, you know, and why, you know, why is that and what does that look like? And so, you know, I can, uh, you know, go on forever about that. But, you know, if if you took a uh, if, if you took 100 investors and put them in a room and you said, I'm going to send you three pieces of marketing material, uh, 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 a one-page data sheet, a two-page executive summary, and a 10-page PowerPoint, how many would read the PowerPoint first and a third of the people will raise their hand? And how many would look at the executive summary first? And a, the other third will raise their hand. And how many would look at the one-page data sheet and the last third? So what we found is that, you know, Depending on your genetic makeup, some people like long PowerPoints to to go introduce themselves to a company. Others want a two-page summary and others want a one-page summary. So at, at having done this for 10 years, we're a big fan of let's get the story straight. Let's get a compelling narrative that's easy to understand. And then let's put that into a one-page data sheet, a two-page executive summary, and a 10 to 12-page PowerPoint. So no matter who gets it, they're all going to be getting the same version of the story, the same tagline, the same elevator pitch, the same story about the KOLs and the advisors and the management team. So that's what people miss is that 
when you start to get your global roadshow together and you're going from regional global, regional to global, you really need to take the time to understand the subtleties and the nuances. So, you know, once again, it's go find partners who are fit for your stage of development and product set. Make sure you have a, a, a CRM to, to manage and organize. Make sure your story can go through those three types of marketing collateral so that when anybody picks up anything that you have, well, they can they, they can look at it and immediately understand what you do and where you're at. When entrepreneurs go into fundraising mode, my sense is they think about making a pitch. You would argue they should think instead about telling a story. What's the importance of storytelling and talking to potential investors? Yeah, you know, I, I just heard the, uh, the last um, podcast you did. And they, you were, you know, the, the person there was mentioning story as well. And it's really, you know, it's been in the background for, you know, a couple of decades. But, you know, pitching is one thing when you come out, here's the market size and here's what we do. You know, a lot of times people are going to investors and pharma strategic partners and you know let's say it's in the cardio space these guys know more about the cardio space than anybody in the world and then to to waste your time trying to explain the size of the cardio space for aged people um or you know chronic why chronic diseases are important because of the aging population i mean you don't really need to you know, stress that to somebody who's an expert in the industry, in the market. But what you really need to do is like figure out how are you going to get above the noise with what you've discovered, what you've been able to accomplish, what your team's been able to do, and how you put it together in a in a cogent, lucid way that not only makes sense, but is compelling. And then when you practice giving it, you know, you're not just, you know, doing a, a pitch where you're, you know, throwing your PowerPoint up there and just going through the slides. I We do a lot of consulting uh, with 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 CEOs. And, and one time I was working with this gentleman and he said, you know, I just want to get in front of my partner at your partnering event and then I'll just pull up my PowerPoint. And I'm over there, but that's not going to help you if you just pull up your PowerPoint and do a pitch and tell them how wonderful your science is. I said, let's work on your story. Let's work on talking about the scientists that invented this product that's been at it for 50 years. And and let's talk about like, you know, how you're going to leapfrog the marketplace uh, by going, you know, precision. And you're doing, you know, cell and, cell and gene uh, therapies that are next generation. Uh, and so he went to my, my conference and it was a digital conference at the time. And he came back and he said, yeah, you know, I, I had like 10 meetings and I just did the presentation and then I just the, ran out of time and I left. And I said, do me a favor, just take one or two slides, have it in your back pocket and just go down in the next 10 meetings, just introduce yourself, talk to them and just kind of go over the story that we've been working on, you know, and you ask them questions and, and he'll ask you questions back or she'll ask you questions back. And so he came back after the second half of the day and he said, oh, my God, I can't believe the difference. It's like having a dialogue with somebody and telling a story and going back and forth. 
I learned so much more about what they're looking for. And I just wasn't just presenting to these folks. My idea of what they want to hear, here's 10 slides. I take over the show. They sit back and listen, maybe five or 10 minutes questions at the end, and then I'm gone. Instead of sitting down human to human, having a, uh, a, a dialogue based on commonality, talking about who you are, your team is, and, and how your product is, and just going back and forth, it just works so much better because in if a dialogue starts with commonality and then it starts to be mutual understanding of each other and then starts to reveal a fit, then the next part of that is dialogue leads to relationship. And then a relationship will, will lead to, you know, uh, a greater understanding, more time together, deep dive into your product, et cetera, due diligence. And then that leads to some kind of transaction. And, and so that's really hard to get across to people because they think I'm a scientist. All I care about the science. I'm going to go pitch my product with my 10 to 12 slides, take over the meeting, have my force of personality <laughs> win the day and beat the investor in a submission. <laughs> and it really doesn't work like that. You authored the book, The Life Science Executive's Fundraising Manifesto. This in many ways became the roadmap for the classes that Life Science Nation offers. How does Life Science Nation work with entrepreneurs to help them prepare to go out and raise money? Well, you know, we, we have the book that I wrote about 10 years ago, and it was, you know, written because... A lot of the times when I was talking to the scientists and they're coming out of academia with their tech transfer license, and then they see me at a workshop or a panel or giving a, a speech and they're going, I am not that guy. I'm no BD guy. I'm no sales or marketing guy. So how am I going to do this? And even though uh, I was just trying to say, your science is good, but you're going to have to learn some basic uh, things about sales, marketing, business development, how to canvas, how to make a phone call, how to do an introduction. It's all based on a numbers game. So I said, maybe if I'll write, if I write the book and I explain it to them where they don't have to uh, listen to me and say, you know, that person's a marketing person. He's not a scientist. So how can I be like him? So that's really, you know, was one of the, you know, reasons for writing the book. And it worked really well because Whenever I travel around the world and go to conferences and, uh, and meetings and things like that, I always run into a PhD who will come like, I read your book. I did, I did what you said. It really helped me and I got funded. And, you know, that's a typical thing. We've helped about 400 companies raise about $5 billion. And, and that's because um, a combination of we have a database so they can get a list of investors and partners from us. We have the RESI conferences, which are part of this infra global infrastructure where they can go and actually have, you know, 12 to 20 meetings. And if you multiply that times five a year, uh, you can and you go to our conferences around North America, Europe and in Asia. You know, so so we, we have that ability to educate you with your story get you a list of the people to go after, provide a, an ecosystem where you can go out and meet people on a regular basis. And so the book uh, was an answer to trying to help scientists, entre entrepreneurs, fundraising CEOs 
just kind of have a guide to go by and uh, let them read it because a lot of the stuff that was in the book, they, they, they weren't really teaching. Um, and then uh, we started spinning that out into workshops and classes. And now fast forward 10 years, we have 16 classes that we offer and soon to be 20. And the classes um, have been great, uh, but they're, you know, once again, it's around the global roadshow. How do you prepare and get ready for your global roadshow? And so we just had a a class where the NIH group, uh, National Institute of, of Aging, uh, they brought us 25 diverse companies, female, black, brown, uh, diverse CEOs that have some as part of this diverse program that's coming out of there. And they were trying to get uh CE diverse CEOs that have compelling technology in the in the aging landscape and and so we did a bunch of virtual classes with them where we really helped them you know figure out how to get their branding and messaging together and you know what's what's so exciting about a 5 to 7 word tagline and a 5 to 7 word elevator pitch but if you really get it down and you meet somebody and in a couple of seconds you can put them in context with who you are and what you do. Um, that's what it's, you know, that's what it's all about. And so we did these virtual classes and then we had a two day immersion class face to face where all they did was we had shark tanks and we had them preparing for their pitches and we'd sit around in groups and make them pitch to us and, and, and really, you know, not say, you know, uh, I, I want to cure cancer and make life better. It's like, well, what the heck does that have to do with anything? What's your product really do? And so just really, you know, getting them to get behind the the base truth and net net out who they are and what their IP is. And then we turned them on to the process that we have, like how to be more successful when you're going to a partnering event and you're reaching out to be in that partnering event. And so then they went out and they went to a bunch of meetings and, uh, you know, they all got 15 to 20 meetings and they uh, they were really well prepared and the meetings went well. And so when people, you know, they go to a partnering events like, you know, there's a group of people that think you go there, you meet somebody and you get a check. That's, you know, they actually think that. And that's because they don't have a lot of experience with it. And then there are other people that um, that think, well, I would like a family office and a and a and an angel to uh, give me my seed money, and then I'd like two farmers, one in Europe and one in uh, North America, uh, give me my A. And it's like you know they think they can prescribe what their future investors are going to look like, and and so we come in with a different you know attitude that uh, it's going to be hard. It's going to take nine eighteen months you've got to get a list and you've got to get the tools to manage it. And you've got to learn how to, you know, canvas and, and ask for meetings and then go to meetings and be successful. And then, you know, how do you judge yourself when you go to a partnering? It's not like how many checks did you get because it's never going to happen. You're going to get a check in one day, but it's how many meetings did you have and how many of those were successful and how many wants to sign in, an NDA and how many wants to do information exchange and how many referred you to somebody else and how many are asking uh, for uh, a follow-up meeting uh, when you hit your next data milestone. Uh, so those are the 
you know, the subtle criteria of what makes a successful partnering event. But if you go there and you talk to people and you go, how was the event? And you go, oh, I didn't, I didn't mean anybody was going to give me any money. And you go, well, you're not probably going to get money on a first meeting, but how many people did you meet that wants to meet you again? Or did you exchange data with, or did they say we need to sign an NDA or, or call me in six months when you're further down the line? Those are the metrics that you really need to follow. And so a lot of people are just ignorant of that because they just don't really have the experience to know that raising money is in, in finding licensing partners is a numbers game. And, uh, you have to start to build by going to these partnering events and canvassing every week to get meetings with potential partners. And then looking at how those meeting results were is they're either on the table, which is a good thing. They, they, they want some follow-up or they want an NDA or they want to keep you in the, in the loop. Or they said, hey, we're not a fit. And then that's even better because you're not wasting your time with something that's not going to work for you. You mentioned the Resi conference a couple of times. This is the redefining early stage investments partnering event. Can you explain what these are and why they're important? Yeah, a long time ago, we um, we just saw a need in the marketplace for having a truly dedicated partnering conference. And so we had this idea that if we got an agenda and we had 16 panels of um, investors and licensing partners, you know, family offices and medical devices, angel groups looking for uh, preclinical assets in cancer, uh, big pharma, uh, med tech. If we, if we got 16 panels and we got five investors per panel, we would have 80 investors at a conference. And so when we went to these partnering conferences, I went to one in Dublin and one in Barcelona and, uh, you know, a bunch in the U.S. And they were they're all saying they were partnering conferences. So I was going there because I was curating our investor and licensing partner database. And I would go there and there was like never any investors. <laughs> I, would, I would go through there and I go, that's a broker dealer. That's a consultant. That's somebody who looks like they're looking to charge you to find you investors. But I wasn't finding a lot of investors. So out of uh, frustration, I said, we know all the investors and licensing partners. Why don't we just get a compelling uh, group of 16 panels, invite the investors and do our first resi conference. So when we did that, um, our first conference, we did, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't really know too much about what we were doing. And we had it in Boston and J labs came and they said, wow, we can't believe you had 150 investors and 150 CEOs. That's amazing. Uh, we've never seen that many investors at a conference. And so J-Labs partnered up with us and became our title sponsor. And so they they stuck with us for um, probably about five years. And uh, we went around doing resi conferences where they were opening up J-Labs. So, you know, we did Boston, New York, Houston, Toronto, San Francisco. And um, they really helped us launch the whole concept of getting dedicated partnering events where there's no fireside chat, there's no keynote speaker, there's no, you know, content about the future of reimbursement in 2040. It's it's basically panels of investors and licensing partners across drugs, devices, diagnostics, and digital health telling the audience of scientists, entrepreneurs, and fundraising CEOs 
what their mandates are and how to get in contact with them. And so all of our partnering is completely partner centric and all of the panels and workshops are investors and licensing partners explaining how to do business with them. And then we have our partnering where one of the funny things, Dan, is when you go to a partnering event, the sell side, the scientist entrepreneur fundraising CEO, they will do so much to fill out their their profile and it'll be pristine. But the buy side folks, they will never lift a finger and very rarely fill out their profiles. So when you go to these partnering events, there's no real information on the buy side. So the sell side just goes and spams like everybody that says they're an investor, but they don't really know what kind of investor they are because they don't fill out their, their profiles. And so when you go to these meetings, you'll go, so I'm a, I'm a early stage therapeutic company. And the guy goes, I'm only, you know, doing uh, medical devices or the woman goes, I only do diagnostics and you spend all this time only to find out that it's not a fit. And so at our resi conferences, because we have, profiles on all of the sell side people that are going to go, we fill out the profiles for them. So you've got the sell side profiles filled out. You've got the buy side profiles filled out. And then we did this matching algorithm where you can come into our partnering system and you can say, you know, I'm an early stage therapeutic uh, for breast cancer. We're preclinical and, you know, a, a couple more data points. And you can press a button and all of a sudden 100 or 150 profiles will come up of people that are looking for you, that are exact fit for what you just described you were. So that's what we did with the um, with the Resi conference. And that's why it's been so unique. And then the other thing is there's a community that evolved around it after a decade. And there's the community really fosters like helping each other. And then there's this thing, you know, we just had some folks from uh, Lilly that were getting a footprint in Cambridge and they came to our conference and the, the head uh, of business development uh, for Lilly said, I can't believe the collision factor at your resi conference. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, I just bump into, you know, a lot of people that I really want to meet and have discussions with just just roaming around and, you know, just bumping into people. He said, so the collision the collision factor is really big and it's really good because we're meeting people that we wouldn't see on our radar screen. So, you know, that's what Resi does. It's five times a year. You have to get out of the office uh, and get in front of your marketplace and it's a pure numbers game. So Resi really can be an important part of that uh, fundraise. And that's why we've created the ecosystem. What advice would you offer life sciences entrepreneurs seeking to raise capital about how they could best ensure their success? Well, I, I would say, you know, um, concentrate on your story, get a compelling narrative, get a list of partners that are a fit for your for you, um, learn how to canvas, learn how to make a phone call. Um, and if you don't want to do that, and I can understand 100% why, uh, go find somebody in your company or hire somebody part-time whose job it is, is to get a list of those investors and licensing partners that you want to meet with, and they canvas them and set up weekly meetings for you, and then go to partnering conferences like Resi, where you can go and get matched up with people that are appropriate for you, 
And that'll really, and then you got to stick with it because a lot of people, they don't have uh, experience. And so it ebbs and it flows with meetings and interest. And, you know, always remember, it's just going to take one really compelling connection that's going to start the, you know, the, the movement towards getting around done and you can, it's going to ebb and flow. It's just like life. And you can't let in the bad times, you've got to work hard. And in the good times, you have to work hard and you've got to stick with your program. So I think a lot of the times is people give up. They don't have experience in selling or BD and they don't know that it takes a while and that you, you have good months and bad months and good quarters and bad quarters. And you really need to st get a program, stick with your program. And if you stick with it, you're going to make it. Dennis Ford, founder and CEO of Life Science Nation. Dennis, thanks so much for your time today. Dan, it was a pleasure chatting with you. Great question. Super insightful. Really a pleasure. Thanks for listening. The Bio Startup News podcast showcases important topics and notable leaders of life science startups. The podcast is produced by Bio Startup News, the weekly aggregator report that recaps the latest developments of U.S.-based life sciences startups. Bio Startup News is published by Big Bio Communications. For more information, go to biostartup.news. This podcast is produced for Biostartup News by the Levine Media Group. Music for this podcast is provided by the Jonah Levine Collective.